This is Top Floor, episode 127. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 127. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast right up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Michael Goldrich always wanted to be a writer, but had his head turned by politics and then the newly emerging internet. He spent two decades in hospitality digital marketing before achieving his early goal, authoring Too Many Hats, Too Little Time, Productivity Reimagined with AI Personas. As founder of Vivender Advisors, Michael helps companies adopt and integrate AI technology. Today, Michael and I are going to talk about the alphabet, hallucinations, and the ethics of creativity. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and randoms off the street who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Rakesh. It's a perfect question for you, Michael. So hold on to your hat. Are there any laws preventing me from posting AI images of my hotel? Do I have to admit that they are AI? What do you think? Uh, well, I guess it depends. The uh, Who is the copyright holder of some of the images that you're using? So if there is a photographer who uh, was part of the training of those images uh, that did not give explicit rights, and you put it up there, and they can identify their work in there, they potentially could have a case. That's why uh, Adobe, uh, they say all of their images are, uh, they have rights to all of them. So I think uh, it's important to look at the uh, use the policies of creating these images to see where they scrape the content from and where they created it. How can you figure that out? You can just look at the training data and you the companies say whether it's safe to use for commercial use or not. They ex explicitly say that. Okay, good to know. If you do choose to use a, whether it's MidJourney or Dolly or some other system, just check with your attorneys first. Say, this is what we're planning to do. And are you okay with this? And they'll look <laughs> at the terms and conditions and let you know. So my guess is that people want to do this because they want to save money. I highly doubt that they are going to pay the hourly rate for an attorney to help them decide. So Rakesh, I'm going to make an official ruling and say, no, no, you may not. Do not do this. Get a professional photographer, take pictures of your hotel and move on with your life. Michael, you have had an interesting career working in politics, management consulting, and hospitality before founding your company a year ago. How do you think your background influenced your perspective on AI or has it? Uh, I think, you know, my background is I'm constantly learning, constantly learning to do something new. Like I, I know some people that have been doing the same thing for about 20, 25 years. Uh, and for me, that seems that's not how I choose to live. 
I, I, about every like six or seven years, I like to pivot and do something new and learn something new. Well, as you said, I started out in uh, Washington, then I moved to management consulting, then I moved to hospitality marketing. Now I'm in startups. Now I'm in the AI space, and I just think that um, I, I think what is is like I'm 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 very curious. That that's sort of what guides me, and I'm always looking to uh, feed that curiosity. I typically I'm the one always asking a lot of questions, so it's always interesting to have you know, people ask me questions. Uh, <laughs> but I think um, all that experience just kind of I think rounds me out. I think gives gives a little bit of perspective, uh, gives a little bit of reality uh, in terms of what I do. And when it comes to AI, uh, you just see it's. Well, it seems almost like a, this magical genie. It's a tool. It, it, that's all it is. It's just a tool. And so it's, but how do you use this tool to maximize productivity? How do you use this tool to generate the most revenue? How do you use this tool to empower your workforce, increase the morale, and not uh, and show them extra respect? So how can you use this technology, which people say can do pretty much anything and uh, getting closer to doing a lot of pretty much anything. So then how do you uh, leverage it? So for me, I want to use, I like to help organizations leverage this technology to empower their workforce, to help them get to that laundry list of tasks that they can never get to because they don't have enough people, they don't have enough time, they don't have enough money. Now they can kind of get through all that. So for me, that's where I get great satisfaction to help other people learn this new technology, employ this technology, and then um, see the massive benefits it can possibly get. Speaking of technology, the hotel business is renowned for being technologically behind. It's interesting to me that you're a tech person having spent such a long time in the hotel business. That is not what I would call a very tech-forward industry. What role did technology play or not play in your career success? Uh, so I've, I've always kind of been like, I've always been a MarTech sort of person. So I've always leveraged technology to achieve marketing goals. So, and I think that some of the challenges with, with hospitality in particular, because it's, it's a people business. When you get right down to it, it is about people. And sometimes it seems like technology is the bipolar, the opposite of that. So when you organizations have an opportunity to invest, They'll invest in people. They'll invest in the building. They'll invest in the rooms and the technology that kind of, okay, well, I can check people in. That's great. Oh, I need a website to check people in to get bookings. All right, I'll build a website. So I think the other technology pretty much has been more of an afterthought or kind of added on. But now I think that with this new technology, and granted, you no know, uh, hotel companies have been using AI for a while in terms of like, you know, revenue management, helping do predictive pricing and all that. But now this technology can help the people significantly. For example, you can, you know, how many times have you gone to the front desk and they say, hold on, they need to answer the phone call and talk and answer a question that they probably have answered like a hundred times <laughs> instead of giving you that wonderful 
positive uh, guest experience. Now that call can now be handled all by AI with an AI voice that sounds pretty close to human, can answer the questions, and now the person is freed up from having to do multiple things at one time to focus on what should be the most important thing for the hotel is the guest and making sure that that guest feels valued and not devalued. It's a perfect segue into my next question because when people in the hotel industry talk about automation, they are really focused on things like kiosks or robots cleaning guest rooms. I maintain, I am convinced that instead of getting rid of all of this rote work that people hate, that's not going to happen. I think automation and hospitality is going to eliminate what have in the past been these higher barrier to entry jobs like revenue manager, sales manager, etc. Because that's where the it's worth investing. That's where it's worth it. What do you think? Am I totally off base? Like, I don't think that our industry is going to embrace AI because they want to free the front desk up to spend more time with guests. This is a revenue-driven decision-making matrix, you know? No, you're, you're right. And 100%. I think labor is the biggest cost. Yeah. It's one of the biggest costs. So how can you save labor costs? Or you know some um, or reduce cost, and so probably what will happen is that this technology can allow lesser skilled people to be more skilled. So you can hire junior people to kind of run things that you need more experienced people, oh, and then you just point. have, and then you just have like a a person that kind of oversees them all that validates it. So that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, like I was talking to a friend of mine who's an anesthesiologist. And he says, that's where medicine is going. So instead of having an anesthesiologist per uh, room, operating room, you're going to have more of these texts that are kind of following the direction. And you have the anesthesiologist looking over a number of screens and they're saying, do this, do this. And that you have uh, the different devices uh, that kind of provide the medicine at the right time. And he says that actually better than the actual doctors to do it. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So I imagine it's similar in terms of revenue management, in terms of pricing. And uh, because, you know, BCG did a study that basically said that with this technology, it can take a lesser skilled person and bring them up to a skilled person level. But someone who's already skilled, it doesn't really raise them up too high. So, you know, that's sort of the, the benefit really of this technology are people that are less skilled to bump them up. The challenge here is they don't have the wisdom to under, really understand the experience and the why. That's why you need uh, uh, someone looking over them. And you also always need to have the human in the loop in this stuff. It's, it's you know, you could in theory just kind of turn these systems on and then just have them pick the pricing and you don't have to look at it or whatever it is. But the thing is, mistakes will happen. These, these technologies are not perfect. And you want to make sure that you always have accountability. You, and so the accountability always has to be on the people. You can't just say, oh, the system messed up. That's not fair. And I think you have to have a person responsible for that that takes ownership of that. You talk about that in your book, which I read. And I thought this part was so interesting. 
at the very beginning, there's sort of a disclaimer about how the book was written. So can you describe that disclaimer and talk a little bit about the role of AI in your book? Yeah, no, definitely. So as I uh, as I was going about writing the book, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an attorney, and he just pretty much said, you know what? You got to be careful, Michael, because I talk about in the book how you can reduce legal fees. And, you know, I talk about in this situation where you can create, I call it a trifecta of three different lawyers, three different types of lawyers or three different experience levels. And uh, in, in theory, what you can do and I have done is you can have them then look at a contract and then you can have them go line by line on the contract. And based on their expertise, you can have them provide the feedback. And then based on that, you can basically have legal feedback that you can then take into a lawyer. And so instead of paying a lawyer, 10 hours, you can pay them for two hours to look at that. So I, I put this disclaimer in here because I wanted to, for a couple of reasons, A, I wanted to make sure that any business decisions people make, they check with their business. So they just don't follow the book and say, oh, my, Michael wrote that you can do this <laughs> to do this. I also write that whatever you do from a legal perspective, you need to say that as well. In addition, I did use AI to help me write the book. And, and I saw it as a, a partnership. So I, I wrote this book and I thought, and I write all about AI personas. I talk about AI personas could be your subject matter experts. I say that AI, AI advice, uh, you know, AI personas could be your CEO, your CMO, your CFO, your general counsel, your head of training. So I say all that and I do all that and they can help you in terms of decision making. So then I also thought, well, if I'm, if I'm doing that from a small business perspective, and I also use them to help me write my book. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's I'll, so great. That's so meta. So what it, so I did is, okay, so I'm going to write this book and I'm an English major. So I, I like writing, but you know, it was always, I've always wanted to write a book. And every time I'd start, I would stop and I get stuck. I'm like, what am I going to do here? So what you can do with this technology is, okay, you know what? I'm going to free form write this whole book. So I freeform wrote it chapter by chapter. Then I said, okay, so I have my outline. I have what I want to say. I have roughly how I want to say it. So if I were now give it this to a, a publisher, what would the publisher do? Uh, the publisher would first give me a, um, a, a proofreader to go through it. I'm like, all right, so what is a, a nonfiction company that would I would give it to? So I... I created one. So I created an AI persona for this particular publishing company that is their top proofreader. And I said, okay, I've written this book about this. Here's this chapter. This is what this chapter is about. Please proofread it for me. And then it would go through and I said, let's do this paragraph by paragraph. So they went paragraph by paragraph. So the proofreader went through the entire book. So then I'm like, oh, well, what happens Next, so then like you, know, you got another type of editor. You got like a like a copy editor. I think that I'm, or maybe I have the order reverse the copy editor. So then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna create a copy editor because they're gonna have to make sure that everything is good for their book. So I now create another persona of a copy editor. We go through paragraph by paragraph by paragraph, and they make sure that everything's good. So that's wonderful. So then I'm like, okay, so now the book is all done. What do you do now? Well, I said, and I imagine. I would give it to the head of publishing for that company for them to validate it and make sure that they're comfortable with that. And so, and for them to sign off on it, I'm like, okay, 
I'm going to create an AI persona of this person <laughs> at this specialty company, and I'm going to give them the chapter and say, well, what do you think about this? And they say, am I missing anything? And they're like, no, that's good. All right, let's go to the next one. Oh, it's good. And so once they signed all of so often all of it, then I thought, okay, this is cool. So I said, you know what? I'm going to now have each of my personas read the book and give me their thoughts on it. So at the end of the book, I actually have my each of the personas that I have. I, I fed them the entire book. I said, based on your expertise and your knowledge, how would you evaluate this book? So then I put that at the last chapter of the book, each of them and their thoughts about what they liked about <laughs> it, what they were concerned, what they're concerned about and all that. So. That's so cool. Can So I, we've talked about personas a little bit, but I think we probably need to take a step back and level set what you mean by that. Um, so... You know, if someone's listening and they like this idea of creating these personas to help them, you call it a virtual board of advisors in the book. Can you explain what that is and maybe why somebody might want them in addition to writing their book, of course? Yeah. So, okay. So, well, first I'll talk about how I came up with this. So, when I was learning about prompt engineering, uh, how to write a good prompt. They said, the first thing you have to do is give it a role. And so you're essentially treating it. Uh, so that helps to filter the expertise. So then I'm like, okay, if you need to give it a role, I wonder, instead of just saying you are a top copywriter, what if I say that you are a CMO and then, and I name it. And, and then, and I wondered if it would persist throughout the entire chat to say, Susan, the CMO, <laughs> Susan, the CMO stays in the entire chat. So I thought that that is amazing. So I'm like, what if I give Susan a certain set of experience and skill and interests and hobbies and a specific tone? Will that persist throughout the chat based on Susan? So I basically emulate Susan, the CMO. It does. Then I'm like, oh, that is interesting. Now I wonder, can I do the same thing with a lawyer? I create a law. Larry, the lawyer, went to Harvard. He's an expert in hospitality law. He knows digital marketing. He uh, has these interesting hobbies and um, he's got a very authoritarian voice, blah, 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 blah. Now, I wonder if I create Larry, the lawyer, if he, in the same chat with Susan, the CMO, can I ask them both individual questions? And I said, they can. And I said, what if I ask them to ask each other questions? Can challenge each other. Oh, I didn't know you they, could use two in the same yeah, yeah, session. you can have them and then you can oh. multi you can load like I have like seven. Like in, in the book, I have cats of like seven of them all going. So now you have say you have your entire advisory board all loaded in the chat. Then you've got a, a problem. Like say you have a, a challenge that you're having with your company or a challenge with the hotel. And you want to run it by all these experts. Say, here's the situation, blah, 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 blah. Based on your expertise, what you know. Uh, how do we, how do we address it? And please uh, give me feedback on why you think that's a good reason. And then challenge the responses of a couple of other people, why you think they're not a good idea. So that way you can get a thoughtful, uh, their thoughts as well as their challenge of other thoughts based on their expertise. So you can have a pretty much a fully formed, uh, perspective on this particular problem. So that's, that's the, the opportunity here. So these personas are essentially, um, in marketing, we use personas all the time to say, who is your target audience? And you create a persona of your target audience. So it's like, uh, you know, um, 
you know, men in their fifties and they like X, Y, or Z, and you create a whole sort of image of who they are. And then you say, you target all your marketing towards that person. And you kind of always have that person in mind. That's not persona is like that target customer. I just take that target customer and I create these personas as living interactive entities that can now live in your chat that you can call up one, two, three, four, uh, as much as a memory will allow you to do it. And you can have these conversations. And like, I even have them because I give them all hobbies. You can even have like a pre-meeting banter. So before I have like run the decision, I'm like, okay, can everyone share? <laughs> and I have that in one of the later chapters and I say, okay, before we have our meeting, can everyone talk about what they did on their on this past weekend? Uh, what you did the past weekend. So each of them have hobbies. Say, oh, I went sailing. Another one said I went gardening. And then it's very, very strange. But it, <laughs> you, can, you can do it. Basically just entertaining yourself now that you're a solopreneur. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some specific, practical, really tangible tips that they can try either in their businesses or their personal lives. So your book is full of sort of the step-by-step practical steps for how to do these things. Um, So I'm going to try not to make you cover them again here. But I have a question that I think it persists in people's minds as something confusing. And that is about training AI. So when we talk about training AI, what does that mean? And how do you do it? And maybe for this example, we should talk about ChatGPT because that's the thing that most people are familiar with. Okay. So training AI. So right now, like for ChatGPT, essentially, it's been trained on pretty much everything that's on the internet. So everything that has from like Wikipedia to the New York Times to patents.google.com, it's got all that information in there. It's been trained on that. So while, um, and all that put together helps formulate how it understands language and different concepts. So it isn't a, um, so it's trained to kind of understand language. That's why they call it a large language model. And also that also explains the hallucinations. So the hallucinations are uh, basically you ask it a question, it wants to answer you, but it just makes up the answers because it's generating off of stuff that it found off the internet and it formulated it. So it may not have been accurate in there. So when it comes to, so you have training where it's been, whatever the data set that's been trained on, you can have other models that are trained on different training. It could just be company data. It could be trained on uh, all the customer training. All, so it can be trained on different things, but then that also gets into fine tuning. And fine tuning is, for example, say uh, you're writing a blog article. Say you've written a bunch of blog articles and you want it to write like you. Well, you can load up your past articles and say, okay, here's how I've written in the past. Here's my tone. Here's my voice. Here's my style. Here's my word choice. Here's how I phrase things. Uh, I am now writing a whole new blog about, um, you know, the guest experience at a luxury hotel. Based on how I wrote in the past, uh, I, I want to cover these five points. Uh, please go ahead and create it in five paragraphs. So it'll look at how you wrote. It'll be, this is the fine tuning. 
where it kind of takes sort of like this uh, subsequent data. So outside of the large language model, so it's going to be trained on this stuff and then get to um, be more specific in your voice. So correct me if I'm wrong, but now um, in the paid version of ChatGPT, you can create the like what you talked about, your own writer or your own tone of voice or whatever the case may be with custom GPTs where you upload the stuff, it learns from it, and then it spits back out sort of something in the same style. That's the same... Kind of yeah, you could, you about, could right? either do it in a pay, you know, GPT where you load up the documents if you just want to do one-off, or you can create the GPTs. Yeah, so I, I created GPTs for like luxury hotel marketing. So I created a CMO, a pay-per-click expert, a direct booking expert, a SEO expert, a copywriter, a PR expert, all of these just around luxury hospitality. So you can have like a little team like that. That's a little really bit like cool. AI personas. I use Chat GPT all the time. And one of the things I really like to use it for is formatting. So when I receive something that's given to me, like let's say with a bunch of bullets, and I need to put it in a different format or on a graphic, and so I need to strip all that formatting out. I'll put it into Chat GPT and say, please remove all this formatting and give me this back with no formatting and then it'll give it right back. So recently I tried to do the same thing with alphabetizing and it was truly just an experiment. I really understand that I can do alphabetizing in Excel probably 10 times faster, but I just wanted to see what would happen. And it did okay, but it wasn't perfect. And so I continued the conversation like, hey, it looks like you've got the J's and N's mixed up or you know what I mean? Like kind of back and forth, back and forth. And it never was able to completely alphabetize my list. Did I just create a non-replicable error? Or is that like something that's famous within ChatGBT that I should know? No, that's actually... They've always seemed to have issues with alphabetizing mm-hmm. um, on this. And it has to do with... But my understanding of how it's programmed it is a, it's a language model. I mean, this is something that's like a, a function of Excel or... Word or be able to do that. That's not really how it's been designed. But I also have understood that that's a a challenge that they've been haven't been able to solve yet. And and maybe it has to do with how it just generates the text. I, I don't know actually the technicalities behind it, but this is a known issue of other people. Like head data scientists have tried to figure out why this happens, and they they can't figure it out. It's so, so it's, weird because it can do the most complicated things like in a snap. And the alphabet is not that complicated, but it's hard. But my the way that I understand LLMs versus other types of automation is that each word is predicted based on a zillion different factors and the word that comes before it. So for example, if I say, I love most likely it's going to be you or donuts or cats or whatever the case may be, not to alphabetize a bunch of words in a row. (laughs) So I wonder if that that has to have something to do with it. So we have reached the fortune-telling portion of the show. Now is the time to predict the future. And then we'll come back later and see if you were right. What is a prediction that you have about the future of business leadership? So the future of business leadership will be AI augmented. 
So what's going to, what I mean by that is, um, let's go to chess. So chess, like, uh, even the grandmasters, the top grandmaster cannot be AI. AI will always be the top grandmaster in chess. Uh, but, uh, when it, it's a human plus the AI, uh, can be another AI. So that's why you, AI really? on its own. Yes. So okay. that there was a study done there that the humans with the AI eat, beat AI alone. So in terms of decision-making in the future, it will always be uh, a partnership, a collaboration between humans and AIs working together to make decisions. Uh, either one can't exist in a vacuum. That's that what's gonna is amazing. That's amazing to know. And I think it fits right in with your idea of personas having these people to advise you and assist you as a leader, but you're still the body in the room as it were. Exactly. Okay, what if you could wave a magic wand and create a GPT or an AI that could do anything for you? This doesn't have to be realistic. Like the functionality doesn't really have to exist. What would it be? I would want to create a master control GPT. So say I have like 20 or 30 GPTs that have very specific skills. I would like this GPT uh, create one that knows which one to call when and kind of call them in order. So it's empowered to know how to work with each of them. So I think if I were to create a GPT, it's sort of like the, the Uber personal assistant that kind of knows what each of them can do and then understands the situation and say, okay, well, first I'm going to need to go to this one, then pass that off to this one and pass it off to the other one and then bring it back to this one. Then we'll have the results and go on. That sounds very complicated and a little bit scary. <laughs> what is next for you and what's next for your company? I'm doing education, training, upskilling. So that's interesting. Uh, but I'm also uh, doing AI transformations for hotels, and which basically coming in, understanding their use cases, bringing together a task force of marketing, uh, revenue, sales, uh, have them evaluate a number of use cases. And based on these use cases, we run them through an assessment. And then we identify two or three pilots per um, department. And then we uh, test it, then we scale it, and then we go to the next ones. So, but the, what I think is most interesting, what we've most recently been doing is uh, I've created this thing called the RevGen AI Ops, RevGen AI Ops. And what is that? For about 10 hours a month, uh, I go into a hotel, hotel group. And what we do is we are very tactical. So, you know, the, the AI transformation is all very strategic and kind of looking at the big picture and how do we kind of uh, leverage this. But sometimes, you know what, you don't have the time to kind of do the whole big picture. Sometimes you just want somebody in there and drive some consistency. So we now say, okay, fine. That seems to be a need. So we're solving this need. Uh, we go in and what we do is we work with the teams. We make sure that the teams are leveraging the right tools, leveraging the right tools properly. If they don't know how to leverage the tools, we, we uh, train them or upskill them. We make sure that they're following the policies. We uh, make sure that we get all the prompts and put them in the prompt libraries and make sure that they are accessible by everybody. Uh, we make sure that uh, news comes out, you know, updates that might impact what they're doing. So we make sure that we incorporate that into their everyday whatever. And right now, because the skill doesn't exist on site, 
we do this for the hotels until they're able to find that person and then we'll train them up, have them take it over. Cause I think it's best to do it in in-house, but if you don't have these skills in-house, you got to outsource it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, um, that's what we're doing. Gotcha. Okay, folks, before we tell Michael goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Michael, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? All right, so here's my story. I only tell you on loading dock. So this was <laughs> this was back in 2004. So I'm dating myself. So I, so I was, uh, there was a job at Starwood hotel group that I really wanted. I thought I am perfect. I just worked at Accenture. Uh, I was building out their financial services, building out the backbone of the internet there, but I had just had my first kid. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be traveling all the time. I want to be here. I mean, Starwood was local to me in Westchester. So I saw this job building out the large brand website, Sheridan.com, Weston.com, you know, all the spg.com. So I applied to this job, which was perfect. And I never got a read receipt. I never got anything back. And I'm like, this is the perfect job for me. So I thought, you know what? I put on my interview suit, got my little briefcase because we had briefcases back then. <laughs> I had my resume and I, I showed up and I went to the front desk of uh, 1111 on Westchester Avenue at Starwood. And I said to them, I'm here for the two o'clock interview for this job. No, you did and then, not. And then I sat down. And so they said, who are you here to see? I said, I did not write down her name. I'm sorry. But she said, be here at two o'clock to interview for this role. And I sat down. And so saw her on the phone. She was calling up. And then someone from HR comes down, said, who, who, who are you supposed to be interviewing with? I said, he didn't give me your name, but here's the job. This is what she told me the interview for. And I said, I'm ready to go. I fixed my little tie. I'm, I'm ready to go. And they said, well, we don't have a record of you. And I said, I said, I, I, you know, I took time out of my day to come here. And, you know, this, this, you know, and I said, can you please double check? So they went back upstairs. They brought down another person. And they say, Michael, we're so sorry. We don't have a record of you for coming in for this job. And I'm like, let's look. Here's my resume. And I said, here's my telephone number. When you guys get it cleared out, I'll, I'll find time to come back. Um, but I looked annoyed and I just handed it to them. And then I just walked off. They called me back the next day. I got the job. Holy crap. Did you ever admit what you did? Oh, yeah. I told the head of HR there. Uh, guys, back then you used to be able to have uh, lunch with the executives at Starwood. So when I uh, had lunch with her, I told her the story. She just laughed. She thought it was funny. That is wild. Like I've heard of people doing things where they're like, I'm going to be in XYZ town. I'd love to get coffee if you're available. And then only if the person says they're available, will they go to that town? But that is taking it to the next level. I wonder if that would work today, 20 years later. It wouldn't later. work today because it would seem like because there would have to be emails. Like, show me the email. Like back then, you know, it was just applying to a job and, and I never got it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's and right. probably nobody would be at the office. So even if you tried to show up, 
it oh. might backfire in your face. Well, Michael Goldrich, that is a hilarious story. Thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners either got some excellent ideas for how to use AI or got even more confused than they were before. Equally good outcomes, in my opinion. And I really appreciate you riding with us to the top floor. Thank you so much. It was a really privilege to be here. Thank you, Susan, for having me on your show. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 127. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all-around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 